Chapter 19 of Gunman's Reckoning by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Big Landis lost his nerve and sidestepped at the last minute, and then the whole gang faded. This was the way the rumors of the affair always ended at each repetition in LeBron's and Milligan's that night. The corner had had many things to talk about during its brief existence, but nothing to compare with a man who entered a shooting scrape with such a fellow as Scar-Faced Lewis, all for the sake of a spray of mint. And the main topic of conversation was, did Donnegan aim at the body or at the hand of the bouncer? On the whole, it was an excellent thing for Milligan's. The place was fairly well crowded, with a few vacant tables, for everyone wanted to hear Milligan's version of the affair. He had a short and vigorous one, trimmed with neat oaths. It was all the girl in the blue calico dress, according to him. The posse couldn't storm a house with a woman in it, or even conduct a proper lynching in her presence. And no one was able to smile when Milligan said this. Neither was anyone nervy enough to question the courage of Landis. It looked strange, that sudden flight of his, but then he was a proven man. Everyone remembered the affair of Lester. It had been a clean-cut fight, and Jack Landis had won cleanly on his merits. Nevertheless, some of the whispers had not failed to come to the big man, and his brow was black. The most terribly heartless and selfish passion of all is shame in a young man. To repay the sidelong glances which he met on every side, Jack Landis would have willingly crowded every living soul in the corner into one house and touched a match to it and chiefly because he felt the injustice of the suspicion. He had no fear of Donnegan. He had a theory that little men had little souls. Not that he ever formulated the theory in words, but he vaguely felt it and adhered to it. He had more fear of one man of six-two than a dozen under five-ten. He reserved in his heart of hearts a place of all for one man whom he had never seen. That was for Lord Nick, for that celebrated character was said to be as tall and as finely built as Jack Landis himself. But as for Donnegan, Landis wished there were three Donnegans instead of one. Tonight his cue was surly silence, for Nellie Lebron had been warned by her father and she was making desperate efforts to recover any ground she might have lost. Besides, to lose Jack Landis would be to lose the most spectacular fellow in the corner, to say nothing of the one who held the largest and the choicest of the mines. The blonde good looks of Landis made a perfect background for her dark beauty. With all these stakes to play for, Nellie outdid herself. If she were attractive enough ordinarily, when she exerted herself to fascinate, Nellie was intoxicating. What chance had poor Jack Landis against her? He did not call for her that night, but went to play gloomily at Lebron's until Nellie walked into Lebron's and drew him away from a table. Half an hour later, she had him whirling through a dance in Milligan's, and had danced the gloom out of his mind for the moment. Before the evening was well under way, Landis was making love to her openly, and Nellie was in the position of one who had roused the bear. It was a dangerous flirtation, and it was growing clumsy. In any place other than the corner, 
It would have been embarrassing long ago, and when Jack Landis, after a dance, put his one big hand over both of Nellie's and held her moveless while he poured out a passionate declaration, Nellie realized that something must be done. Just what, she could not tell. And it was at this very moment that a wave of silence, beginning at the door, rushed across Milligan's dance floor. It stopped the bartenders in the act of mixing drinks. It put the musicians out of key, and in the midst of a waltz phrase, they broke down and came to a discordant pause. What was it? The men faced the door, wondering, and then the swift rumor passed from lip to lip, almost from eye to eye, so rapidly it sped. Donnegan is coming, Donnegan, and Big George with him. Someone tell Milligan. But Milligan had already heard. He was back of the bar giving directions. Guns were actually unlimbering. What would happen? Shall I get you out of this, Landis? asked the girl. Leave now? She laughed fiercely and silently. I'm just beginning to live. Miss Donnegan in action? No, sir. She would have given a good deal to retract that sentence, for it washed the face of Landis White with jealousy. Surely Donnegan had built greater than he knew. And suddenly he was there in the midst of the house. No one had stopped him, at least. No one had interfered with his servant. Big George had on a white suit and a dappled green necktie. He stood directly behind his master and made him look like a small boy. For Donnegan was in black, and he had a white neckcloth wrapped as high and stiffly as an old-fashioned stock. Altogether he was a queer, drab figure compared with the brilliant Donnegan of that afternoon. He looked older, more weary. His lean face was pale, and his hair flamed with redoubled ardor on that account. Never was hair as red as that. Not even the hair of Lord Nick, said the people in Milligan's this night. He was perfectly calm, even in the midst of that deadly silence. He stood looking about him. He saw Gloucester, the real estate man, and bowed to him deliberately. For some reason, that drew a gasp. Then he observed the table, which was apparently to his fancy, and crossed the floor with a light, noiseless step, Big George padding heavily behind him. At the little round table he waited until George had drawn out the chair for him, and then he sat down. He folded his arms lightly upon his breast, and once more surveyed the scene, and Big George drew himself up behind Donnegan. Just once his eyes rolled and flashed savagely in delight at the sensation that they were making. Then the face of George was once again impassive. If Donnegan had not carried it off with a certain air, the whole entrance would have seemed decidedly stagey, but the corner, as it was, found much to wonder at and little to criticize. And in the West, grown men are as shrewd judges of affection as children are in other places. "'Putting on a lot of style, huh?' said Jack Landis. And with fierce intensity, he watched the face of Nellie Lebron. For once, she was unguarded. "'He's superb!' she exclaimed. "'The big fellow is going to bring a drink for him.' She looked up, surprised by the silence of Landis, and found that his face was actually yellow. "'I'll tell you something. Do you remember that little red-headed tramp who came in here the other night and spoke to me?' "'Very well. You seem to be bothered.' 
Maybe, I don't know. But that's the man. The one who's sitting over there now, all dressed up. The man the corner is talking about. Donnegan, a tramp. She caught her breath. Is that the one? A pause. Well, I believe it is. He's capable of anything. I think you like him all the better for knowing that. Jack, you're angry. Why should I be? I hate to see you fooled by the bluff of a tramp, though. Tush, do you think I'm fooled by it? But it's an interesting bluff, Jack, don't you think? Nelly, he's interesting enough to make you blush, by heaven. The hound is looking right at you now, Nelly. He had pressed her suddenly against the wall, and she struck back desperately in self-defense. By the way, what did he want to see you about? It spiked the guns of Landis for the time being, at least, and the girl followed by striving to prove that her interest in Donnegan was purely impersonal. He's clever, she ran on, not daring to look at the set face of her companion. See how he fails to notice that he's making a sensation. You'd think he was in a big restaurant in a city. He takes the drink off the tray from that fellow as if it were a common thing to be waited on by a body servant in the corner. Jack, I'll wager that there's something crooked about him. A professional gambler, say. Jack Landis thawed a little under this careless chatter. He still did not quite trust her. Do you know what they're whispering? That I was afraid to face him. She tilted her head back so that the light gleamed on her young throat, and she broke into laughter. Why, Jack, that's foolish. You proved yourself when you first came to the corner. Maybe some of the newcomers may have said something, but all the old-timers know you had some different reason for leaving the rest of them. By the way, what was that reason? She sent a keen little glance at him from the corner of her eyes. But the moment she saw that he was embarrassed and at sea because of the query, she instantly slipped into a fresh tide of careless chatter and covered up his confusion for him. See how the girls are making eyes at him? I'll tell you why, Jack replied. A girl likes to be with a man who's making the town talk, he added pointedly. Oh, I found that out. She shrugged that comment away. He isn't paying the slightest attention to any of them, she murmured. He's queer. Has he just come here hunting trouble? End of chapter 19